Escape Pod 20 September 22nd, 2005 Today's story, The Burning Bush, by Jennifer Pilland Hello and welcome to our 20th Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. This week, I'm going to implore you to do what you were probably planning to do already, which is to make plans to see Serenity. I'm asking this a week early for most of you, so that you'll have time to hear this podcast and act on it. For some of our international audience, I realize I could be asking way in advance, but that's okay. That's more time to plan. If you never saw the show Firefly, you might be getting sick by now of everyone talking about this movie. That's too bad, but I honestly believe it's important. I was a fan of the show since The Train Job first aired. I think I'm one of five people that that episode didn't annoy. And yeah, we can talk forever about what was right and what was wrong about the show, but the indisputable fact is that it was something different. Joss Whedon developed a science fiction concept that was not a Star Trek clone or an X-Files clone, one that merged two genres in a far more literal way than anyone had before. It was daring, it was colorful, it was fun. And because it wasn't obvious to people, it kind of took a while to take off, and Fox killed it in the meantime. As is becoming almost standard now for Fox shows, it's doing a lot better in DVD sales than it ever did on TV, and the fact that this movie got made is something of a miracle. It's now a miracle with a huge base of support behind it. People believe in this idea, in these characters, but I think there's something more than that. I think it's a defense of the different. Hollywood's trending more and more toward rehashing the same old ideas, remaking and rinsing and repeating. Sometimes these remakes work and sometimes they don't, but when something new and good comes up, it has to get rewarded. They have to see that experimenting makes money too. Uh, now I've seen Serenity, I've hit the preview releases, and I can tell you it is good. It was by far the highest wow factor I've had in the theater since the Lord of the Rings movies. One friend I was with said, quite seriously, that he hadn't been so blown away by a movie since he first saw Star Wars in the theater. I wouldn't go that far, but I pass that on for your consideration. What matters to me is that I want this movie to make money. I want it to make hundreds of millions of dollars so that two more movies get made, and maybe, just maybe, Fox will eat Crow and reconsider a series. Weirder things have happened, but more to the point, I want it to succeed so that the next weird, brilliant idea from the next Joss Whedon, the genius none of us have heard of yet, has a shot at seeing the light of day. That, to me, is worth an evening and some popcorn for all of you. And speaking of challenges to the conventional order, uh, this week I'm happy to present The Burning Bush by Jennifer Pelland. Jennifer is a web designer and writer who's been published in Strange Horizons, Here and Now, and Andromeda Spaceways. She's also a veteran with Escape Pod. Her robot sex story, Snow Day, was our fifth episode back in June, and it continues to be one of our most popular. This story is once again read by the inimitable Deborah Green. I do have to warn you, the story contains some explicit imagery, and it is quite literally blasphemous toward the Catholic Church. It's a fun story, but some people may consider it religiously offensive. Whether that's a reason to stop playing or turn up the volume is entirely up to you. And with that warning, it's story time. The Burning Bush by Jennifer Pelland 
So my boyfriend was having his scheduled midlife crisis and had decided to study religion in the hopes that it would give him the answers he craved. It was a hot summer night and we were both lying naked in bed, reading. He, the Catholic Catechism, and me, a lesbian cyberpunk novel chock full of juicy sex scenes. I was hoping it would counteract the taint of the Catechism somehow. The thing is, he said, gesturing at the book, there's no proof in here. It's just faith. My scientific mind demands rational proof. What will it take, I asked. A burning bush? And then my pubic hair caught fire. I did the sensible thing. I screamed and ran to the bathroom where I started tossing cups of water on my crotch in the hopes of extinguishing the flames. My boyfriend ran in behind me, started the shower up, and tossed me in the freezing water. But the fire continued to rage, despite the dousing. At that point... I realized I wasn't actually in any pain. I stepped out of the stream of water, teeth still chattering, and held my hand in the blue flames. This should hurt, I said. He put his hand in the flickering flames as well. Hmm, guess I got my burning bush after all. I promptly thwacked him with a towel. How am I supposed to go to work tomorrow with my crotch on fire? Work? How can you think about work at a time like this, he asked gesturing to my nether regions in awe. God just worked a miracle on your pubes. The thought was more than a little disturbing. I'd abandoned Catholicism for Wicca over a decade earlier. The thought that maybe there was something to that Yahweh stuff after all wasn't sitting well with me. I put my hands on my hips and said, God can damn well take his miracle to somebody else's crotch. Thank you very much. He didn't. The blue flames continued unabated. Well... This sucks, I said, sitting down on the edge of the tub. You need to show this to the bishop, my boyfriend gushed. What? This is a bona fide miracle. I am not flashing my crotch at a bishop. It's bad enough they're all screwing altar boys. I don't need them staring at my muff, too. Then just show it to Father Arpeggio, he said, going down on his knees and staring at my flaming crotch in awe. Father Arpeggio was the priest my boyfriend had been talking to about his midlife crisis. He'd been the tour chaplain for the new kids on the block back in the 1980s. That didn't exactly inspire faith in me, but I suppose it was better than flashing a bishop. Fine, I grumbled. Just let me get dressed first. My boyfriend's eyes lit up. Great. I'll go call him. He dashed out of the bathroom as if a second fire had been lit under his ass. I trudged back down the hall to the bedroom, staring down at my flaming pubes all the while. One of the cats woke up and stared at me in alarm, then zipped past me to go hide downstairs. Sensible kitty, I grumbled as I grabbed my old Guatemalan print jumper and pulled it over my head, hoping the flames wouldn't consume the fabric. But they appeared as non-lethal to fabric as they were to flesh. There was only the barest glow through the skirt. He's skeptical. But he's waiting for us, my boyfriend said, quickly pulling on shorts and a semi-rude t-shirt. Good. Maybe he can make this all go away, I said. Go away? But it's a miracle. Look, dear. He put his hands on my shoulders. Think of what this could do for the church. But I don't like the... Wait a minute. I said, realization dawning over me. Take one sex-negative, woman-subjugating religion and introduce a radiant clitoral icon. You could be onto something here. All right, let's go see Father Arpeggio. 
Father Arpeggio looked quite startled when I raised my dress. Oh, my. My boyfriend beamed. She asked me if it would take a burning bush to get me to believe, and then it burst into flames. It's a miracle! The priest looked dubious. Have you tried putting the flames out? Yep, I said. No luck. Plus, the fire's not actually hot. Go ahead. Touch it. Father Arpeggio's hands didn't move. Frankly, I was a little relieved. A miracle, my boyfriend repeated. Well, it could be demon possession or a succubus, the priest surmised. I'd need to do a little research. Don't you think demon possession would hurt, my boyfriend asked? Or conversely, feel really good, I asked. Hmm, you may have something there, still. He knelt down and took a closer look, and his eyes suddenly widened. It speaks! My boyfriend shoved him out of the way and pressed his ear against my crotch. It's definitely whispering something, he said. What's it saying, I asked. My boyfriend shrugged. I can't make out any of the words. It's not English, Latin, or Japanese. Why would the God of the Hebrews speak Japanese, I asked. I didn't say he would. I'm just saying it's not any of the languages I know. And those are English, Latin, and Japanese. I rolled my eyes. Look, someone just get a tape recorder so I can hear too. Father Arpeggio stumbled to his feet and reached for the phone. I must call the bishop. No, the cardinal. The cardinal doesn't get to listen to my crotch, I said quite emphatically. Aren't there any nuns who could take a listen? Father Arpeggio shook his head gravely. Oh, no. This is a matter for the church hierarchy. That's it, I said, and lowered my dress back down to my knees. I'm taking my burning bush to the Unitarians. Wait, Father Arpeggio said, dropping the phone. The receiver hit the marble floor with a thunk. How about I call the Mother Superior of the Sisters of St. John the Misogynist? I grinned. That would do nicely. So I called in sick to work the next day and went back to Father Arpeggio's church right after the morning mass. True to his word, Father Arpeggio had assembled the nuns of St. John's Abbey. They quickly bustled off the menfolk and turned to me with excited eyes. So let's see it, the Mother Superior said. I assumed she was the Mother Superior by her age. I don't think I'd ever seen a tinier, more ancient-looking woman. If she hadn't moved, I would have mistaken her for a mummy in a penguin suit. Or a penguin mummy. I lifted my skirt, and the nuns all cooed and crowded around. Oh, this is going to cause quite the stir, an elderly nun said. Then they all started cackling. I'd love to see the look on the priest's faces when they get a load of this. Yet another elderly nun added. Come to think of it, they were all elderly. It was like having twenty copies of my grandmother staring at my privates. I had a sudden urge to drop my skirt and apologize profusely. But I sucked it up. The only way I could shake the church up was to flash it. It whispers, too, I said. I taped it last night and took a listen for myself, but I have no clue what it's saying. Mother Superior pointed to a slightly less elderly nun and said, Sister Mary Dionysus. You've got the best ears of all of us. Come take a listen and tell us what you hear. Sister Mary Dionysus shuffled forward and put her ear up next to my burning pubes, and all the nuns fell silent. 
The only sound I could hear was the faint crackling of the blue flames and the occasional crackling of arthritic joints. She eventually straightened up and shrugged. Well, it's not German, and it's not Latin, and it's not English or French. Or Japanese or Spanish, I offered. We've taken up enough of your time, dearie. Mother Superior reached a gnarled hand out and gave my flaming pubes a pat. Well, this should be fun. I can't wait to see what they make of this one. Good luck with the boys. Most of them haven't seen a snatch since they came out of one. All the nuns cackled as one, and they shuffled out of the room. I dropped my skirt and stood there, flabbergasted. Father Arpeggio walked into the room with my boyfriend and a passel of old male clerics, all wearing dour black to match their dour faces. The most dour of the bunch stepped forward and said, I am Most Reverend Francis Xavier McGinnis. And with that red nose, I'd have no trouble remembering his last name. I have a few questions I'd like to ask before we look at the exhibit. He looked like he'd just sucked on a lemon, and he couldn't keep his owlish eyes from staring at the glowing spot on my skirt. None of them could. I'd never seen Catholic priests be that crotch-obsessed with an adult woman before. Ask away, I said, sitting down on a hard wooden bench. Are you Catholic? Well, only technically, I said, fingering the pentacle I wore around my neck. I was baptized and confirmed, but haven't been a practicing Catholic since. In fact, I'm Wiccan now. All the men sucked air in through their yellow teeth and nervously fingered their crucifixes. I just smiled, as beatifically as I could. It seemed like the appropriate way to smile, given the circumstances. All right, let's see it, he said. That wasn't a couple of questions, I protested. One was enough. I sighed, stood, and hiked up my skirt. A gasp went through the room, and the men all looked at my flaming crotch, as if the sight caused them great pain. I heard one say, it's hairier than I thought it would be. Some of us don't believe in shaving, I said. I prefer to leave my crotch as God made it. Father McGinnis pulled a pencil from his pocket and slowly extended it toward my pubes, then pulled it back from the flames, gasping at its unblemished tip. No scorch marks. The rest of the priests immediately whipped out their pencils and looked at my crotch with gleams in their eyes. It doesn't burn flesh either, I said, running my hand through it. Go ahead. Try. All the priests made lemon-sucking faces again and dropped their pencils. My boyfriend strode to the front of the room and said, Look, I'll do it, and stuck his hand in the flames. Oh, and don't forget, it talks, I said. It's very quiet, so you'll need to get up nice and close if you want to hear anything. Father McGinnis crossed himself, kissed his crucifix, and as if being led to the gallows, slowly approached and knelt down in front of me. He wrinkled his fat, puffy nose in distaste, then leaned in. Hmm, this might possibly be Aramaic, he said. Is it Hebrew, I asked? I mean, wouldn't that make the most sense? He turned and said, Father John of Constantinople, you know Hebrew. Come take a listen. He stood up quickly, seemingly relieved to no longer be kneeling in front of my miraculous muff. Father John stepped forward, pinched his nose closed, and knelt down in front of me, listening intently. Hmm, yes, it is Hebrew, he said. It's saying, take me to the Pope, 
He surged to his feet, mothering our fathers under his breath and gulping in huge lungfuls of air. The Pope, I asked. Are you kidding? No, that's what that is saying, he said, pointing distastefully at my crotch. I dropped my skirt in the group of priests huddled in a circle, muttering to each other. Father Arpeggio and my boyfriend came to stand beside me. Will they really take me to the Pope, I asked. I suppose it's possible, Father Arpeggio said. I'll need to renew my passport, and you'll need to get one, I added, pointing to my boyfriend. Not necessary, Father Arpeggio said. International law doesn't apply to us. We have a worldwide cable working behind the scenes of most major governments. Getting from the United States to the Vatican will be no problem. Getting you to Yemen, now that might cause some difficulties. Go figure, I said. So, all the conspiracy nuts are right. How did you get all those governments to go along with you? Let's just say it has something to do with us keeping the fourth secret of Fatima a secret, Father Arpeggio said. I thought there were only three. He winked. The priest turned around, and Bishop McGinnis said, Well, there is holy precedent. St. Loquacius of Outer Slobovia had a similar blue flame enveloping his entire body, centering around his mm, back end. His didn't speak. But for that, we can refer to Exodus. So I say we fire up the jet and take her to the Vatican for further study. How long will that take, I asked. I need to get time off from work. We'll arrange it for you, the bishop said. They told my company I needed an emergency exorcism and tried to convince me that they'd provide me with everything I needed. But I didn't trust them, so I packed my own overnight bag. I hauled out my biggest pentacle, the one that might as well have lit up and proclaimed, Kiss me, I'm a witch, and my rudest t-shirts. I figured I'd never get as good a chance to harass the Pope again in my lifetime. Wearing my labia t-shirt, lesbians and bi women in alliance, and an Indian print skirt, I boarded the Papal Concord with my boyfriend and was whisked off to the Vatican. There were throngs of nuns waiting outside, all wearing huge smiles. I thought about flashing them, but then I noticed a good many of them had cameras and changed my mind. When I entered the Vatican proper, a long line of cardinals was waiting for me, little kneeling pillows in hand. I sighed and asked Father Arpeggio, Is this really necessary? Yes, if you want to see the Pope. My boyfriend grinned and held up a copy of the Boston Globe. Don't worry, I came prepared. I shrugged and lifted my skirt, and the line of cardinals advanced. My boyfriend gave them each ten seconds to listen, and then whacked them on the head with his rolled-up newspaper. I think he enjoyed it too much. I leaned over and whispered, So, what happened to your search for rational proof of divinity? Oh, I found it, and it proves that God has a sense of humor. Time's up, he said, whacking Desmond Tutu on the head. Hey, he's just an archbishop, I protested, and he's not even Catholic. Father Arpeggio shrugged. He's a celebrity. We have to invite him. Eventually, my boyfriend ran out of cardinals to thwack, and we were finally granted an audience with the Pope himself. He gestured for me to come over and lift my skirt. So I did, making sure I didn't hike it over my pentacle. No way I wanted him to miss seeing that. It whispers, I said. You need to get up nice and close. The Pope's handlers gently helped him down to a kneeling position. 
and he clasped his rosary in prayerful hands as he leaned forward to hear what my crotch had to say. Several cardinals whipped out camcorders to record the momentous occasion, and my boyfriend thwacked them with his newspaper until they were standing behind me. No muff shots, he exclaimed. The room quickly fell to a quiet hush, pregnant with expectation. Jeez Louise, did you guys get it wrong? My crotch shouted in a distinctively female voice, and the Pope would have fallen over backwards if not for his handlers. Now where in the Gospels does it say that women are second-class citizens? God said through my crotch. I mean, hello, what part of created you in my own image don't you get? That means male and female. And if any of you mention Paul, there's going to be a heaping helping of smiting going down. I saw several cardinals guiltily close their mouths. I swear, 2,000 years and I still haven't been able to undo all the problems that twisted little prick caused. Besides, Paul's not even part of the Gospels. You all should be ashamed of yourselves. And whose bright idea was the celibacy thing, God continued. It wasn't mine. What kind of sadist do you think I am to give you all those wonderful body parts and then ask you not to use them? Hell, I can't even pin this one on Paul as much as I'd like to, although he didn't help any. You all need to get laid. By consenting adults. The things I have to tell you guys. The flames crackled loudly and God said, Listen to this woman. I picked her for a reason. Wake up and join the 21st century. You're embarrassing me in front of all the other gods. And then the fire went out. I dropped my skirt with a grateful sigh and took the newspaper from my boyfriend's hand, stepped around the Pope, and sat down casually in his chair. Comfy. I could get used to this. The Pope shot me an indignant look, but I thwacked him with my newspaper, then tossed one leg over the armrest. I looked around the hall at all the stunned cardinals and grinned from ear to ear. You heard the woman, I said. There's finally going to be some long overdue changes around here. Call in the nuns and stand back. It's time to remake the church in her image. And that was our story. I haven't been struck by lightning yet, but just in case, don't plug your MP3 player into any grounded outlets for a while. And lo, on the seventh day, Murr said, let there be a promo. Hi, this is Murr Lafferty from GeekFu Action Grip, here to tell you about my new podcast. I've had over 25 rejections in four years of writing experience. I'm a freelance writer with several publications to my name, but no fiction. I've learned a lot in these four years. How to submit a story, how to handle rejection, and what constitutes a good rejection letter. And there really is such a thing. I'm currently working on my first novel while continuing to collect rejections for my short stories. I should be writing as a podcast dedicated to you, the wannabe writer. From me, the wannabe writer. I have no magical publishing bullet to help you, because you know if I had one, I'd be using it. But I've made some mistakes that I've learned from and would like to tell you about them. If you think I'm wasting your time giving advice when I can't get anything published either, I'll be interviewing an honest-to-goodness published author every fifth podcast to make sure I'm not talking out of an orifice other than my mouth. Check out the show at shouldwrite.blogspot.com. Listen to I Should Be Writing, because you should be writing.
very cool. I've been listening to it. It's a fun podcast. And I think there's more wisdom in there for writers than Murr will admit to. There will be a link to it at escapepod.info. For our featured donor this week, I want to thank and utterly mangle the name of Dag Vigo Lokuin from Bergen, Norway. Dag Vigo, he uses both first names, sent us a very generous donation a little while ago, saying, Thanks for making my trek to the university that much funner. I was intrigued by someone who listens to podcasts while walking. I guess it's very sad and very American that that struck me as a novel idea. He's studying for his master's in computer science at the University of Bergen, and he's pretty active in the open source community as well. His name popped up all over when I googled him. But mostly I want to feature him because Dag Vigo Lokuin is the coolest name of any donor we've yet had. So thanks, and keep up the good, uh, name. Whoever you are, please remember that Escape Pod pays its authors, and we rely on your support to keep bringing these sound waves to you every week. If you enjoy today's story, please consider clicking on the PayPal link on our website, escapepod.info, to show your thanks. If you hated today's story, clicking on the PayPal link will guarantee that next week's story will be totally different. We'd also appreciate your letting your friends know about us. The more we grow, the more fun this is, and the easier it is to convince my wife that my staying up until 2am really is worthwhile. Escape Pod releases under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. It's yours to give away, it's no one's to sell, and it's our fault. All other rights to the stories we narrate are held by their authors. Our music, as always, is by permission of Daikaiju, 37% larger and louder than ordinary kaiju. Behold them at daikaiju.org. And that was our show for today. What follows will be 14 hours of subliminal messaging. See Serenity, see Serenity, see Serenity. It'll sound just like all your other music, but that's because we're so clever. See Serenity, see Serenity, see Serenity, see Serenity, see Serenity, see Serenity. See Serenity.